Today, we're going to talk about the murder of George Floyd and what Christians bring to our national discussion today. We'll start by looking at Genesis, the first book of your Bible, the first chapter, the 26th verse. My name is Pastor David Burkadall. My wife, Reverend Sally Welch, is co-producing this podcast. Sally is a United Church of Christ slash Christian Church Disciples of Christ ordained minister focusing on ecumenical and interfaith ministry. I graduated from St. Olaf College in Northfield, Minnesota and Pacific Lutheran Theological Seminary in Berkeley, California. I served Lutheran Christian congregations in Compton, California and San Dimas, California for over 40 years. I worked a variety of blue-collar summer jobs in college and seminary, served in the Marine Corps, played drums in jazz bands through college and seminary and a little beyond, and was a competitive master swimmer on a team before the pandemic. Today, doing gardening and landscape maintenance is my gym, and I'm active as a volunteer in the leadership of the 110 Evangelical Lutheran Church in America congregations in our area. I want to talk with you today about George Floyd. He was murdered by a now former Minneapolis police officer who put his knee on Mr. Floyd's neck and used his weight to hold Mr. Floyd down for nearly nine minutes. Mr. Floyd died after gasping and calling out for his mother, who has been dead for two years. That's not news. What made it news was that the incident was recorded on video and broadcast widely and often. I'm speaking today as a white person on race. Whenever anyone does this, they move into dangerous ground. No matter what I say, I'm going to offend somebody. I know that. It's a difficult subject because we are speaking from so much ignorance. Part of that ignorance comes from us not understanding one another. What we mean when we speak of the way the world works depends upon our experience in the world. That can be vastly different among various races. We can be agreeing with one another and still get upset because we have little understanding of one another. And I don't mean those who say they can get along with everybody. We need more than superficial tolerance right now. We need understanding. It's hard, but we need to start. All of us. But I do apologize if you become upset. We don't need any more of that right now. For me to say what I need to say, I want to start at the beginning or close to the beginning. Here's what we find in the very first chapter of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. Then God said, Let us make humankind in our image, according to our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the wild animals of the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created humankind in him his image, In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. George Floyd was a person. He was created in the image of God. Among the many layers of importance that means is that, like you and me, he was created for a living relationship with the living God. It also means that, as a child of God, he was your brother. Mother Teresa was once asked what the world's biggest problem was. She gave an unexpected answer. She said that the world's biggest problem is that we don't define the word family broadly enough. How do we redefine our relationships? How do Christians begin to narrow the communications gap between members of the human race? First, we have to have empathy for the criminal officers. 
That's right, I said empathy. Jesus taught us to love our enemies. This is not for the sake of our enemies. It's for ourselves. I don't know anything about the murderer, but I don't think that he went into police work so that he could murder people. If he did, he's sick and needs treatment in addition to punishment. And if he didn't, we need to ask ourselves how he turned into someone that thought it was acceptable to put his weight on his knee and his knee on the man's neck until that man, George Floyd, was choked to death. And even as we do so, we can still, as a civil society, hold him criminally accountable for this murder. We can, as Christians, forgive a person and still hold them civilly or criminally responsible for their crimes. I want to say that, from what I've seen, I don't see a lot of room for equivocating. The officer who killed Mr. Floyd committed murder, and he's being charged. I think that those officers who stood around and did nothing should also be charged. Where circumstances lead to murder, and in other circumstances of criminal acts, there is no obligation for law enforcement officers to look the other way or defend a murderer wearing a badge. There was an expectation of honorable behavior when I was in the Marine Corps, about as tight an organization as exists on the face of this planet. We were trained to recognize acts that were not acts of warriors, but acts of criminals wearing a uniform, murdering a prisoner, for example. When something like that happened in our presence, or if we were given an illegal order to commit such an act, we were taught that it was our duty to our country, to the Marine Corps, and to ourselves to report the person to a superior officer, and to ourselves resist such illegal orders. Second, we have to have sympathy for the vast, vast majority of law enforcement officers. They are just as angry as you and me. We have heard it from law enforcement officials at every level. In Flint, Michigan, the sheriff approached local demonstrators, took off his helmet and baton, and said, let's have a parade, and he joined the protesters. Officers have to go out and do their jobs every day, knowing that many will judge them by the standard of the worst among them. They deserve our support. Third, we need to reflect on the rioters and the riots that followed George Floyd's death. What fuels such rage? Well, that's kind of a silly question, isn't it? Years of injustice? And I don't think the stress and deprivations of the coronavirus epidemic falling heavily on people of color helped. I have a colleague who lives in the neighborhood where Mr. Floyd was killed and where the initial rioting took place. A significant percentage of the rioters were white, and the mob destroyed the life's work of people of color and people dedicated to the well-being of the whole community. When the fire started, it was these people from the neighborhood who poured out to fight them. When the rioting stopped, they cleaned up. It's been said that there is an African proverb that says, the child who is not embraced by the village will burn it down to feel its warmth. That may be true, but I don't think that he or she will get much sympathy from the village. People are today left homeless, jobless, and without hope, after just gaining a sliver of hope with the reopening of their businesses at this stage in the coronavirus pandemic. Lots of unmasked protesters and rioters will be in two or three weeks coming down with a terrible illness and spreading it to many others. Yet, we need to understand them as well. As my wife, Reverend Sally Welch, pointed out, they are somebody's children, brothers, sisters, and friends. Their families and friends didn't hope that someday they would grow up to become nihilists, anarchists, and thieves seeking the end of civil society. 
They didn't either. What set them on that path? What are the conditions, either prior to or just on that day, that made it acceptable for them to destroy other people's livelihoods, community services, and public trust? They must be held criminally responsible. But how can we better understand why they took the path of destruction, unlike the vast majority of people who live in identical circumstances every day, and to see that they are not followed by more people of violence? Will people respond to the claim that violence is necessary to get people's attention? As L.A. County Sheriff Alex Nueva pointed out, the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King and the thousands of other people involved in the civil rights movement in the 60s were not violent. They were subjected to violence. And look at the charge change that came from their sacrifices. But we are not finished. We must not see progress and believe that the work is completed. There is more work to come. When people see a flaunting of the law, the theft of other people's property, the destruction of their places of employment and their means of making a living, they do not become sympathetic. They become defensive, and they are inclined to protect what is theirs and not cultivate a general, generous spirit. They tend to condemn the evil and conflate it with the good. They lose interest in the difficult conversations that must take place. Worst of all, the rioting and looting, the fires, and the anti-police graffiti changed the conversation from the injustice of Mr. Floyd's death and the many before him and toward the behavior of the rioters. Finally, the only people that we should be hard on is ourselves. I think of the story of Fiorella LaGuardia, mayor of New York during the Depression. At that time, Mayor LaGuardia would sometimes sit as a judge for night court. One night, a man was brought before him for stealing a loaf of bread. Did you steal a loaf of bread? LaGuardia asked. Yes, Your Honor, I did, he said. Why did you steal a loaf of bread? To feed my family. You stole a loaf of bread to feed your family? Yes, Your Honor. Well, said LaGuardia, I'm going to have to find you guilty. Yes, Your Honor. LaGuardia slammed his gavel on his bench and said, I find you guilty of stealing a loaf of bread. The fine is $5. And Mayor LaGuardia reached into his pocket, pulled out $5, handed it to the bailiff, and paid the man's fine. Then he slammed down his gavel again. And furthermore, I fine every person in this courtroom 50 cents for living in a city that tolerates conditions where a man has to steal bread to feed his family. And he gave the collected money to the man who stole the bread. Why do we tolerate the racial inequities of our nation? Because it's a huge issue and involves some difficult conversations. There is more change that has to come, but it will not come through violence. Dr. King said, returning violence for violence multiplies violence, adding deeper darkness to a night already devoid of stars. Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. Paul wrote to the people of the church in Galatia, in Galatians chapter 3, 27 and 28, As many of you as were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is no longer Jew or Greek. There is no longer slave or free. There is no longer male and female, for all of you are one in Christ Jesus. We need to have a conversation. How many times have I heard that one? So, start. 
If you're black, I don't have any advice. You know what can be done. If you're white, seek out a black person close to you and ask them to tell you their stories and how they see the world. Don't start by apologizing for all white people. Nobody wants to hear that. That's just virtue signaling. You can't anyway. Don't claim to be different from those other people because you know that's not true. Start by telling your story and what has made you the way you are. Look inward to see if you have any insight into your own actions and seek justice. Justice in the Bible is not politics of the right or of the left or any place in between. It is doing God's will. That is how we determine what is just and what is not. We ask, what does the Bible, our prayer time, and the history and experience of the people of God in answering the question tell us about what is God's will? We see it most clearly at the cross. Sacrificial love for all humanity, created in God's image with one blood, and made a new creation in Jesus Christ, and a new community in the Holy Spirit, one God. Yesterday was Pentecost, celebrating the day of Pentecost and the end of the Easter season. Isn't it ironic that, as our congregation's pastor, Pastor Laura Martin, pointed out, that we celebrated a day marking the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, symbolized by fire, when our neighborhoods were burning, literally, with rage? Isn't it ironic that we celebrated a day that we mark the outpouring of the Holy Spirit when the word spirit in both Hebrew and Greek, the languages of the Old and New Testament, use words for spirit that can also mean breath on a day when we protest the death of a man who said, I can't breathe. How can we communicate Pentecost in this time? I don't have all the answers far from it, but I do know where to go to find them. One of the alternative gospel readings for the Christian churches all over the world yesterday was in the Gospel of John, the seventh chapter, verses 37 through 39. On the last day of the festival, the great day, while Jesus was standing there, he cried out, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me, and let the one who believes in me drink. As the scripture has said, out of the believer's heart shall flow rivers of living water. Now he said this about the Spirit, which the believers in him were to receive, for as yet there was no Spirit, because Jesus was not yet glorified. What can we do? Pray to know and do God's will, to be filled with the Holy Spirit, the living water, seek the leading of the Holy Spirit for justice, and act for change. Today, let's remember to pray for those struggling with all forms of violence, with mental health issues, and with substance abuse, and for all those caring for them. And let's remember to pray the Lord's Prayer today, the one that Jesus taught us. If you don't know what that is, contact us at therevsdavidandsally at gmail.com and we'll send it to you. Put your prayer requests in an email to the same address, therevsdavidandsally at gmail.com, and we'll include them next time. As always, we encourage you to stay hydrated. Open your hearts to receive the living water from the source, God's self, the living presence of the one true living God. The God who alone gave himself on the cross so that all who believe and are baptized might be restored to the living relationship with God for which we were created. Remember your church. Identify one if you don't already have one. Ask a friend or family member. Google it. Do some research. Look around. Phone the pastor. 
When you have one, go to or tune in to the worship services they have currently available for you and support the church financially so that it will be there when we come back to fully physically present worship together. Support your pastor and church leaders. Pray for them and help them in any way that you can. If you or a loved one are having thoughts of suicide or are struggling with mental health issues, call somebody. Google your local hotline or a national one. You are not alone. Wear a mask when you're outside your home. Practice social distancing. Wash or sanitize your hands regularly. Avoid crowds and be outside if you have to be in one. Be kind to everyone you come into contact with, including those who sacrifice their security to provide for yours and for those you are sheltering with in isolation. That's it. Thank you for listening to Living Water Radio. We are here for Christians and for the people in the Los Angeles metropolitan area who are looking for a sense of Christian community, a source of hope, and a way to thrive together during this global pandemic. We hope you'll tune in next time and invite your friends to do the same. Meanwhile, Sally and I encourage you to open your hearts to receive living water, the presence of the Holy Spirit, and stay hydrated.